Uh, so great uh, worshiping with all of you today, and uh, we're excited to have you here. Thanks for coming. My name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor here, and you got to know that if you're sh- this is your first time, uh, we're a little strange on some things, and uh, one of those is when we take the offering, uh, we believe that everything that we have comes from the Lord, and so whenever we give an offering, we're giving a portion back uh, to His work through our lives, through this church. We're trusting Him for big things. And so we celebrate here when we take an offering, and uh, I'm going to invite our host team to come forward right now, and that's why we let out a roar, uh, let out a cheer when we do that. I'm going to ask you to do some multitasking right now, and uh, so as you're getting ready to take the offering, if you've got a Bible, turn to uh, 1 John chapter 1, and uh, don't be confused with the, uh, John and the, the, one of the John's gospel early on in the New Testament, uh, but more towards the end of your Bible, 1 John uh, chapter 1, and as you're doing that, I want to play a little game with you as we're getting started, a little quiz here. Uh, you've heard of Name That Tune. Uh, what I want to do is I want to play for you a couple of tracks uh, of, of three different songs, and uh, so you're going to get to hear just a little bit of it, and then I want you to tell me what movie uh, it's from, all right? So you got the game, you get the idea. Okay, three tracks, so uh, we'll, we'll see how well we do. We'll see how smart uh, we are here today, so let's, uh, let's hear this first one. Check this out. Everybody got it? You heard enough? All right, not, not too difficult, not too complicated. What is it? Jaws, all right, nice and easy. All right, again, we got a smart crowd here today at our 1115 service. All right, let me, let me give you this next one. Uh, we'll see if you get this. This one might be a little more difficult for you. Check this one out. relevant, right? Right? Maybe we got to play that song every time we take the offering. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, you just, you hear that, it's, it's time to give the offering. So, uh, we, we could do that. But you know that one's from Star Wars, certainly uh, relevant uh, for this month. But uh, check out this last one. See if you can get this last one. Just kind of embrace the moment, people. You see it? You just kind of, just right there at the edge of the boat. We all know that's from Titanic, right? Not too difficult, really pretty easy. Sorry if I'm challenging or questioning your IQ this morning. But here, here's the point. You know, what these songs are uh, to their respective movies, Oh Holy Night is to Christmas. I mean, it really is. I mean, Oh Holy Night is just that classic Christmas song. I mean, could there be any song that's more classic at Christmas than a song uh, like Oh Holy Night? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to use your imagination uh, with me for, for just a moment. I want you to think back maybe to when you were a kid or something, or uh, maybe you're the parent of a young child, or maybe you're going to a niece or nephew's uh, uh, elementary school uh, Christmas program, like way back when they used to call it a Christmas program still. But you're, you're at this Christmas program, and you get through the program or the concert, and you get to the very end of the night, the very end of the program, and you think it's all finished except for the one last soloist that steps to the mic, and a hush falls over the crowd, and the song begins, Oh Holy Night, right? The stars are brightly shining. We just sang it a moment ago. This is the night of our dear Savior's birth. All right, long lay the world in sin and error pining. I'm not going to sing it for you. If you want to hear me sing it, you got to sit in the front row uh, with me while we're singing the song. But till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, just listen to these lyrics again. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks 
a new and glorious morn. And then I don't know if you're like this or not, but when I get to this point in the song, uh, it, it's kind of where I get a little nervous, I get a little anxious, you know, maybe you clench your teeth a little bit because you know that everything really hangs in the balance at this moment because what you're asking yourself is, is the soloist going to go for it, right? You know, it, it's that point in the song, like, are they really going to like try and knock it out of the park? Because really Christmas this year is riding on whether they're going to hit the notes or not, okay? And so you're there with them and you're nervous and you're anxious, maybe you're kind of wondering, even as we were singing here in church, like, is the person next to me going to go for it? Are they going to drop down, you know? And our band did a great job uh, with the song there, but, uh, you know, there, there's that powerful moment, maybe relief washes over you as they beautifully sing, fall on your knees, oh, hear the angels' voices, and then, oh, night divine, oh, night when Christ was born. I, I don't know if you recognize it or not, I hope you did, but oh, holy night tells a great story. It's a powerful and a rich story with deep theological truths. I mean, this, this Christmas carol really expresses the hope that we have. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the hope that's before us right now, uh, the opportunity that we have to cling to. And so here's what we're going to do over these next few weeks together. With the help of this great Christmas song, uh, we're going to explore together some life-changing truths that come out of, uh, of Christmas. We're calling this series The Thrill of Hope. It comes right from the song. And uh, so using this song, this song, O Holy Night, we're going to investigate some of these lines and some of the theological truths behind it. For example, on Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to look at the line in the carol, long lay the world in sin and error pining, uh, and then till He appeared, right? That's the good news. Uh, and what made that holy night holy was the birth of the Son of God. I mean, it was that night when God broke through all of time and space and made a personal appearance on this earth as a baby, it's Jesus. And so that's the night we can point back to. Uh, that's the night that we can look back to as followers of Christ and said, you know what, that night changed everything. Uh, another week we'll talk about a new and glorious morn. That line declares that every single one of us gets a chance to start over with the Lord. See, He makes all things new. We get a new beginning with Him. And so we're going to talk about things like forgiveness and redemption and salvation and how each of these are accessible and available to all of us. Another week, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the most tender line in the song, I think, the soul felt its worth. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've ever thought that your life didn't matter or uh, wondered what your life was all about or whether or not, or not your life really counts, I mean, here's evidence to the contrary. I mean, God showed up for you. He showed up for each of us, and because of that, our souls can feel their worth. And then one week we'll spend on the great crescendo of the song, kind of that most powerful line, that most powerful response of fall on your knees. I mean, it reminds us that God is God and we're not. He alone is God. And we are to be worshipers of that God. We are to, to give Him all of the glory in the way that we live our lives for Him here on this earth. But today I want to start with a line from the song, I think a line that every one, single one of us can relate to. Uh, especially this Christmas, and it's the line, the weary world rejoices, and uh, how relevant that is right now. I mean, anyone feel like this is a really weary world we're living in, a uh, really weary nation that we're living in uh, right now and, and beyond? I mean, there's so much going on in our world that makes me weary. Uh, I think it's a great word to describe it, but today we're going to be reminded that because of that holy night, the weary world rejoices. I mean, just as the writer proclaims, I mean, the weary world rejoices. We live in a weary world today, but we can rejoice. And what I'm praying is I'm praying that we'll finally, that we'll ultimately realize that because of this holy night, because of the birth of our Savior, we've got a reason to rejoice. As followers of Christ, we have a reason to celebrate and let others see that as we live our lives uh, 
here on this earth. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but that word weary is a great word to describe what was going on in the first century world that Jesus was born into. Uh, In the first century, people were weary of war. Uh, People were weary from things like oppression and terrorism that had birthed out of it. You see, here's the thing, terrorism in the Middle East isn't something that has just come up in in the last century. Uh, In the middle of the Roman world, there were a group of terrorists that were known as the Sicarii. Uh, That name Sicarii means little sword. And what these radicals would do is that they would carry these small daggers, they would hide them in their cloaks, and they would go out into crowded streets, these public places. And when they came across a Roman, or when they came across a Roman sympathizer, they would take the dagger out, they would stab the person, they would kill the person, and then disappear back into the masses. They created a lot of terror because of this. It was a weary world. In addition to that, people living in the first century were weary from economic chaos. Uh, trading, which had previously been really strong, was starting to diminish. Investments, which once made a profit, were standing still. Interest rates were soaring. Property values were falling. Ordinary citizens uh, were using up all of their savings with things like taxes. They were taxed out of their mind. And then people were weary of a civilization, too, that had lost its moral compass. See, at this time, when Jesus came into the world, the nuclear family was falling apart. Divorces were increasing orphans roamed the streets, sexuality had no boundaries, and it was every man, every woman, and every child for themselves. I think you could see that even in the first century, it was a very weary world. And weary, again, is just a great word to describe what we're enduring today. I mean, one glance at the news, and you can see how this is a weary world. I mean, we're once again reminded of the reality of terrorism and the chaos that is created through things like mass murders. We saw that again this past week. Or another shooting that causes you to question whether you should ever leave the house or go out into public again. Uh, There's the ongoing news of millions of helpless refugees from ravaged nations that have nowhere to live. And you know what? As Christians, we need to be tormented by things like these. We've got to struggle with questions like these of what's our role, what's our responsibility in taking care of the refugees Uh, in this world. We know that the world economy is in a funk. Moral values have become so inverted that evil has become good and good has become evil. And racial strife and political political correctness threaten to divide our country every day. I I did say Merry Christmas at the beginning, right? I mean, we got that out in front of everyone at the start. I mean, Merry Christmas. I mean, this is a Christmas series. but, But the fact is that our world is a weary world. And for some of you, that weariness is even so much closer to your home and your life right now. Because maybe you're weary today from fighting for your marriage. Maybe you're weary from never having enough resources to get through the month. Maybe you're weary from the physical pain or weary from the cancer. Maybe you find yourself weary today from the loss of someone that you love or weary from the loneliness or weary about your past or weary about what the future may hold or weary from another day of trying to figure out where to put elf on the shelf. Like, I mean, you've just, you've exhausted every idea, and can you really make it through another couple of weeks of elf on the shelf? We live in a weary weary world, but what does the song say? The song says, the writer says, the weary world rejoices. The weary world is filled with joy because on that very first Christmas, God sent a messenger to declare in Luke chapter 2 verse 10, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. We see on this holy night, God gave us a reason for joy. 
Friends, he's, give, he's given us a reason for joy, even in the weariness right now, even in the weariness of your life right now. He has given us a reason for joy, and we got to live that, and others need to see that in us. We can't just say what we believe. People have got to see that hope living through our lives, even as we find our way through a weary world today. He has given us a reason to rejoice, a reason for hope. But joy, you know, true joy can often uh, seem so elusive. Um, Dr. Brene Brown, who wrote the book Daring Greatly, has some brilliant insights on joy, and she points out how joy, uh, she writes, joy is not happiness. Uh, She says, joy and happiness are two different things. Uh, She says, happiness depends on happenstance, uh, but joy is extraordinary happiness that is independent of what happens to us. Now, my guess is that you've heard that before. We've talked about that here before, about how true, uh, deep, lasting joy is independent of our circumstances, uh, that it's not dependent, again, on what's happening outside of us or around us. But here's the part of Brown's research that I found really interesting, uh, the part of that I had never considered. Brown said that the reason that so many people in her studies don't experience joy today is that we tend to, and this is her term, dress rehearse tragedy. All right, get that, get that word, those words in your mind. Dress rehearse tragedy, uh, and I'd never heard this before, but here's what she means by this. She says, we dress rehearse tragedy when things aren't going great, or when things are going great, excuse me, and we say to ourselves, you know what, this can't last, something is bad is bound to happen, all right? They're kind of half full, you know, glass half full uh, sort of people. Or she'll say this, we, we dress rehearse tragedy when we get a raise or when somebody does something nice uh, for us and we think, you know what, they must want something from me or there must be something else behind this. Uh, that it's coming. Or she says, you know, we dress rehearse tragedy when a relationship is going well, and we think to ourselves, you know what, this is too good, this can't last, it's only a matter of time until something blows up. You know what I'm talking about? You, 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 maybe you're a little like this once in a while, maybe you live with somebody a little like this or spend a little bit too much time uh, around somebody like this. It's dress rehearsing tragedy. I mean, it, it's the same if you're a Cubs fan, right? I mean, it's just kind of what you've been doing for the last 107 years, dress rehearsing uh, tragedy. But it, it's almost like what it is, is it's almost like we're afraid to let ourselves experience joy. Like we think if we give ourselves to it, or we think, you know, if we put too much faith in something, then we're going to get blindsided before you know it. And so we protect our hearts by dress rehearsing tragedy. I I like this. I thought this was insightful. I I saw this this past week. Near the end of his life, Mark Twain said this. He said, I'm an old man, and I have known a great many troubles but most of them never happened. Dress rehearsing tragedy. You know, I wonder if one of the reasons why so many people love Christmas is that for a few short weeks, nostalgia acts as a substitute for the joy we really long to experience all year long. Joy is elusive, but we can muster up a Merry Christmas, right? And we can find the strength for a month. We know we we won't find lasting joy in Christmas parties or in any wrapped gift or in a another rerun of It's a Wonderful Life, but the nostalgic, you know, fuzzy feelings that this season can bring really act like as a, a substitute for the joy we long to experience. But, but here's the thing for us, and really what we've got to ask the Lord to kind of change in our hearts, Christmas means so much more than nostalgia. It's so much more than that. I mean, Christmas means we have a real reason for deep, lasting joy. Even in the weariness all around us today, we have a reason for hope. Like we have a reason to live differently. 
Like we have a reason to operate differently and to see things differently in this world. It's because of the joy that's been made available to us and the birth of Christ. John helps us understand the reason for that joy. If you're in 1 John uh, chapter 1, John was one of Jesus' closest friends, an apostle uh, of Jesus. He had something to say about this joy that we have. Now, the first few verses uh, in this letter here in 1 John are some of the most profound uh, Christmas passages in the Bible. But here's the thing, even as we look at them this morning, you're going to think to yourself, you know what, there's nothing Christmas about this passage because there's no Mary, there's no shepherd, there's no manger, all right? But, and so you'd be right in thinking that, but, but this passage does describe the important truths that Christmas uh, has for us and what it means for us even today. And it tells us what these events of Christmas mean. And that's critically important because true, deep, lasting joy is found in the birth of our Savior every Christmas. Uh, John begins this way, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He writes, that which was from the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with John's writing at all, if you're familiar with John's gospel, uh, this is very similar language that he uses in the opening uh, of John chapter 1, verse 1. John was just simply saying, hey, here's what happened, all right? The personal expression of the invisible God, all right? The, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, He came. He became human for us. He was born for us in what we call Christmas. John goes on to explain, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. John is just simply saying he became human like us in every way, in every way without sin. And so he says, this we proclaim concerning the Word of God. Now, John's writing these words around 90 AD. Jerusalem, 20 years prior, had fallen all right? And the Christians were dispersed. They were scattered. They became refugees as they fled for their lives uh, throughout the, this particular region uh, of the world. And so, John is writing now 20 years later from Ephesus. He's writing to these Christians, to these refugees. He knows the pain, all right? He knows the struggles they've been through. He knows the suffering that they've endured. He knows the weariness. And so, he writes these words to encourage them. He's writing these words to help them get back on track. And again, what does he say? He says, hey, we have heard uh, we have seen Him. We have touched Him. I mean, as you read these words, you can't help but picture, you know, John, almost like he's in a courtroom giving testimony uh, to an account. It's as if you can hear him saying, friends, this is real. Like, we know Him. We've met Him. We've touched Him. We've seen Him with our eyes. This is real. The birth of Jesus is real. It really happened. John is saying God came to earth in the person of Jesus. Christmas is not just some nostalgic, made-up sort of a story. It really happened. I don't know if you realize this or not. But there is virtually zero debate today about the fact that Jesus is a real historical figure who lived in the first century. And, and so, even if you don't believe the Bible, all right, even if you've questioned its accuracy, you should know that some very famous, trusted historians, people like Josephus, people like Tacitus, people like Pliny the Elder, reference Jesus in their historical writings, and there's little dispute with the facts that are set forth in the Gospels. Whatever the case, I side with John, all right? And at Genesis, we side with John because here's the hope that we have. And if you're taking notes and if you want to follow along in this, this is real, all right? This is real stuff we're talking about here. It really happened. John is reminding us that Christmas isn't just some nice story. This isn't just something we share to spread some holiday cheer. This is real. This is true. The birth of Jesus changes everything for us. And then he continues, verse 2, John writes, the life appeared. He says, we have seen it 
and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John is saying the one who is life itself, the one, he says, who is eternal life. Notice that John doesn't say that Jesus has life. He doesn't say that Jesus uh, gives life. John writes, he is life. He points directly to Jesus, the birth of our Savior, and says, He is life. He is eternal life. I mean, John's aim is to announce that Jesus Christ is the one from whom all eternal life flows. And what does that mean? Why is that important? Why is that significant? Pastor Tim Keller explains it this way. He says, you know, in every other religion, the founder is a prophet or a sage, and the founder says, here's the way for you to find eternal life. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be saved. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity does not say Jesus is a great prophet pointing the way to God and how we can save ourselves. Jesus Christ, according to Christmas, is God who came to earth to save us, to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and to know Him as eternal life. And see, again, John declares, this is real. But with his very specific words, he's also declaring, this is life. This is the point of life. This is the truth of life. Why do we have hope? Well, because to know Jesus is eternal life. Because He is eternal life. I mean, to trust Jesus, to put your faith in Him is a guarantee of forgiveness. It's a guarantee of eternal life. I mean, it means we have permission to have a different perspective in the way that we see things in this world and in the way that we live. And here's why else this is so good. Because if you're here today and you're tired of trying to measure up if you're tired of trying to prove yourself to others, if you're exhausted from trying to be good enough, here's the good news. These words remind us that you're off the hook. We're off the hook. I mean, someone is here, someone who came to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. I mean, Christmas means that you are saved by grace, that it's not something you have to earn. It's not something that you have to work for. I mean, life is yours. This eternal life that John describes is yours by accepting the gift that was given to you, that was given to me at Christmas. It's the gift of Jesus. He is our gift of life. And the question that you've got to ask yourself this morning is, I either have it or I don't. I mean, there is no in-between to that question. But to ask yourself, do I have it or not? And if not, what's preventing you? What's keeping you from, from taking that next step of trusting our Lord and trusting our Savior and receiving forgiveness and eternal life for yourself. John goes on to describe that not only does Jesus save us, as important as that is, but he continues in verse 3, he says, hey, here's what we're doing. We proclaim to you. Again, imagine yourself a refugee in a far-off place away from home suffering. And John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came that very first Christmas so that He could have fellowship with us. It's just another way of saying He came so that He could have a relationship with us. I mean, He desperately desires to have a relationship with you. You see, God isn't content to be just some concept that we believe or a powerful force that we sing song to. God became human to be close to us. He became human so that He could relate to us, that we could relate to Him, so that we could experience intimacy with Him. Christmas declares this is love. And that's what John is saying. This is, this is real. 
This is life. And man, you want an example of love? This, this is love. That our Creator, our Father, that He would do this. That he would put Himself out there to really demonstrate His love for us. If you're a, if you're a film buff or if you like old movies, you've probably seen more than one Alfred Hitchcock film. And uh, if you're a fan of, of Hitchcock, you may know that he made it a habit to write himself into many of his stories. In fact, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, the actor, makes a cameo in most of his own movies. And uh, near the end of his career, uh, he talked a little bit about that. He was being interviewed and he said, you know, I wormed my way into my own pictures as a spy. He says, a director should see how the other half lives. Uh, one movie critic said this about his appearances. He said, you know, they, they create such a special bond between filmmaker and viewer because through his cameos, Hitchcock becomes an ambassador between you and the world he has created. But listen to what else uh, is true about Hitchcock. And someone shared this example with me this past week. I just love this analogy. Uh, film scholar Michael Walker notes that most of Hitchcock's uh, appearances happen very, during a very specific scene transitions, very intentional scene transitions. In fact, he writes, the Hitchcock cameo is very intentional, warning us, a message really, warning us that something significant will happen soon. He says, the cameo marks a narrative threshold which once crossed by the character can't be undone. You know, in the very same way, Christmas means that the one who created all things the one who loves us, he wrote himself into the story. He became like one of us in every way, yet was without sin. And he came so that he could understand. He came so that he could sympathize. He came so that he could become the remedy for our sins, for the punishment of sin. And he, he wants us to know that love. He wants us to see that love and to experience that love. He, he did it because he, because he loves us. You know, John describes for us how Christmas and how the birth of our Savior proclaims this is real, this is life, and this is love. And why does He want us to know all of this? Well, in verse 4, He says, we write this to make our joy complete. And I like how the New Living, Living Translation says it. He says, we are writing these things so that you too may fully share our joy. Basically, here's what John wants us to see. He wants us to realize that the joy of embracing the birth and the life of Jesus, the joy of knowing Christ and trusting Him with your salvation is greater than anything you could ever possibly experience in this world. And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, he's not trying, John's not trying to be insensitive to the circumstances. He wasn't trying to be insensitive or to overlook the circumstances of the people that were hurting in this day, and certainly for us today as well, not overlooking the weariness or the challenges, the trials that you may be facing and that we're just simply facing as a nation or as a world, even today. But what he is saying is that in spite of these circumstances and in spite of the perceived weariness, it doesn't change the hope that we have. The hope doesn't change. The story doesn't change for us. I mean, no matter what happens in the world today, here's, here's the facts, here's what we've got to know, and we've got to believe that as Christians, it doesn't change the hope that we have. The story doesn't change. God's not nervous right now. Right? He didn't have some plan B that He's working on to get us out of the mess that we find ourselves in. The plan has always been Jesus, and for us as followers of Christ, our hope is always 
Jesus. And what Jesus wants us to experience is real joy. He wants us to experience a deep, lasting joy, a lasting joy that can help in the pain, you know, can help in the pain of a broken relationship, a a lasting joy that can help us with our anxiety, even as we, you know, follow a crisis, or the, the, the joy that we can find, you know, through the financial worries, or the joy and the hope that we have, even as we face some real uncertainties in our world right now. It's a lasting joy and a thrill of hope that we can share with people around us. It's a hope that we have to be as followers of Christ for others around us. Jesus is that joy for us. He is that hope, and now more than ever, we have to be that hope. And we can't just talk about that hope, and we can't just point to that hope, as important as those things are as well, but we got to live it. My friends, we we have to live our lives in such a way, again, not overlooking the pain, uh, not being insensitive to what people may be going through or even what's happening around us, but really point to the hope that we have in Christ. Again, not just talking about it, but living it and believing that Christians ought to be some of the most joyful people on the planet today. And we're not, but that can change, and it can change with you. I mean, let's interject this world, this weary world with some hope and some joy in the way that we talk, in the way that we treat others, in the way that we extend generosity and show compassion and love for the people around us. Man, change your street, right? Be that source of joy in your home. Be that source of joy right now in your school or where you work. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say that everybody's just going to dance around you and love your message all the time, but we can be that source of hope. We can be that source of joy for others. God wants to use you he wants to use your family. Right? He wants to use Genesis Church. He desperately wants to use Genesis Church right now to be that source of hope and light to this weary world. This Christmas, we don't have to settle for nostalgia because we have a real reason to be joyful. And so when you wake up each morning, instead of letting all the weakness of the world or all the weariness of the world rush in it, you focus on the reason you have for joy. Let's be people who practice gratitude, practice compassion, all right? Practice good things. Reflect on these words, you know, from 1 John regularly. Let's give thanks to the Lord for all the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, sharing that hope had everything to do with our work uh, in Albania uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we, we've been talking about Albania here uh, some. Uh, we sent 10 people. I was a part of a team of 10 that went from Genesis And uh, we served a a week together in Albania with our uh, partner, our missions partner, ICF uh, Church in the capital city of Tirana. And uh, we spent a week just working with college students and uh, just really trying to share light and hope with them. And uh, we had a great week together. And Albania is a tough place. Uh, It's a tough place coming out of communism, 70-some years of communism, and really atheism at the same time. And you can just see the effects that atheism is still having on people in the way that they see things. Uh, even today. 70% of Albanians would say that they're Muslim, but it's a very liberal uh, Muslim sort of faith and really just atheistic uh, and, you know, no practice of a religion whatsoever. And even for those that would say they're Christians or a part of a more of a Protestant uh, kind of movement, again, just very little perspective of God and who He is and what He could do for us. And so uh, our goal was to just go in and to partner with ICF there and, again, interject hope. Uh, into every conversation, into every meeting, and uh, 
uh, one of the great things that ICF is doing is they're reaching out to university students in the city. And uh, just a few weeks ago, they held an event uh, for a week where 800 students came to learn the English language, some beginners, some intermediate, some advanced. Uh, we were a part of a follow-up team uh, to that big week that they had. And so we had about 200 uh, college students, some high school students that we worked with throughout the course of the week. And uh, we would put on these evenings. We did three nights in a row. They called them American nights. We didn't come up with the title. That was their title. It worked for them. And so we just kind of went with it. But the goal was, again, just to be in relationship, uh, to tell stories, to kind of talk about, you know, school, education, to create topics of conversations. We'd break up into discussion groups. And one of the things that the pastor told us was, he says, I want you to uh, try and come up with some at least creative ways to share the gospel. Like, I don't want to come uh, too hard. Again, we're just building relationships with these students. And uh, so we were able to do that. We were able to do that through some of our one-on-one interactions. Uh, but one of the things that we did is on the, at the end of each night, at the end of each of the three nights with the same crowd, uh, Cameron, uh, he's our, our worship pastor over at our Carmel campus, he'd get up on stage and, uh, hey, we want to teach you a song. It's a song that we sing in our church, and it's a song by a group uh, called Gunger. It's their song, Beautiful Things. And it was just so fun. And, and we are not taking them for granted. We knew they were smart people, but to just allow them to think about the lyrics of the song. And it was fun how night one, the song sort of caught, and even more so night two. And by night three, not only did we sing the song together, but we used the song to share the gospel. And uh, it was a powerful moment every night. And one night in particular, I mean, tears are just streaming down my face as you could just You just only imagine the Spirit of the Lord working in many different ways in people's lives and through this song. Here's a little clip of uh, Cameron singing the song with uh, these students. You know, like O Holy Night, I mean, the words to that song are just so powerful and so rich. And again, just trusting that the Lord was using that song and using that message in so many different ways in people's lives. But there's a, there's a line in that song that says that there is hope springing up from this old ground. And I don't think that could be any more true of what God wants to do in your life and with your life, but also what He wants to do through your life and what He wants to do through our church, and what He wants to do for this community, and even from this world to say, hey, there is hope in the midst of all of the chaos, and hope has a name, and it's real, and He's life for us, and He loves us, and it's Jesus. Can we be that hope? Let's be that hope for others to see. Can you stand with me? Let's pray together before we sing. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've sent a gift for us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you, Lord, for your love. Uh, We thank you that the story is true and real and it's life-changing and it's changing lives here and even beyond. And uh, Lord, we know, we acknowledge that this is a weary world right now. It's frightening. But we're choosing to put our hope in you. And we're going to let this Christmas be a defining moment 
that changes our hearts and changes our perspective and maybe the way that we live and some conversations and the way that we're treating some people around us right now. Like, use us, Lord. Change us first as we go and we seek to bring hope to others around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.